please be seated. If you have a Bible and you'd like to turn with me, we come to uh, Psalm 145 this evening. This a sermon for the new year called Making Resolutions. Well, we've already gotten uh, familiar with a lot of Psalm 145 this evening, but I will uh, point out to you the number of ways we find resolutions here to speak. And I'll try to emphasize as we go through. This is Psalm of David. Let's read together Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. And I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on your glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is Righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that this psalm and its resolutions would be fulfilled in us. May our mouths speak of your praise and may all flesh bless your name. May your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, and your will be done even in our speech. We pray that you would teach us now the great glory of your name, your kingdom, and your works that our hearts being stirred, we could not but help to speak that which we have seen and heard. We pray it for Christ's sake. Amen. As you know, the whole world considers the changing of the year as an opportunity to take stock and to make a new beginning. Everyone is speaking about New Year's resolutions, even if they speak with a little smile, the side of their mouth knowing that uh, some of them will very soon fail. But surely for the Christian, this idea of taking stock of one's life at the new year or otherwise is to be a much more helpful, hopeful, serious thing. 
because, you know, time is passing by so rapidly. The next world, the world to come, is hurtling toward us and toward our neighbors. There is so much that the children of God want to do, and so much we have long wanted to become, so many experiences that we have wanted to enjoy, and yet our lives seem to be rushing by, and we have obtained so little of what we have desired. Now, thoughts like these, I think, are some of the weightiest that Christians can entertain in their minds. Are we or are we not going to get any closer to God than we are today? Are we going to enjoy his fellowship more and more frequently? Are we never to become wiser in the scriptures or to prevail in prayer? Are we never to be the husbands and wives or the fathers and mothers that we have desired to be for God's sake and the sake of our loved ones? Are we never to be of any more service in bringing God's salvation to the world, to his elect? Are we never to become that courageous and beautiful witness to Christ that we have so often longed to be? And what's more, what if our course were suddenly to end? What what if this were to be the last year of our lives in 2024? Is there nothing more that we have to show for our love? for the triune God. Nothing more to express of our joy and gratitude than what we have already done. Is there nothing more to be accomplished for which we hope to receive a reward on that great day than what we have already done? Like uh, many of you, I enjoy reading the spiritual biographies of saints of various times and reading how others walked with God, and you can't help but, but wish to have more of the same of what you read. We, we, we envy the power and the boldness or the meekness and holiness with which, they, with which they lived and served in the kingdom of God. And we wonder, oh, will we ever know anything like this height or depth or breadth ourselves? Do we have nothing to expect but that on every new January, we'll have to conclude that we haven't gotten very much further in our faith or witness or prayer or family love or family worship or Christian fellowship or good works or love for God than we had last January or the January before that. I mean, am I the only one who thinks thoughts like these? Or do you also wish to see some real advance this year, some, some advance in your soul, in your Christian life and that fruitfulness of what you have to offer the Lord. This is the first Sunday of the new year, and it's a time for reflecting on such things. And so I'd like to call your attention to an often forgotten method by which the godly saints in biblical times, according to the Lord's own appointment, in fact, godly people ever since, have moved upward and onward in their Christian lives and experience. And I'm talking, of course, about making resolutions. Now, wait a minute, you say resolution isn't actually a biblical word, at least in most translations, fair enough. But we do find many, many references, do we not, to vows and promises and oaths or covenants with God, certainly in the Psalms. And many times we find resolutions for life stated less formally, but no less seriously. Such resolutions are sometimes public or could be secret, They may be conditional or unconditional. They may have to do with any aspect of our lives. But time and again, 
either formally or informally, we do find God's people resolving to do this or that or to live henceforth in a certain way to the glory of God. It's a good time to have those things before us. Now, of course, if you're, if you're not a Christian, I, I say that uh, the great resolution that you need to make in this year for the rest of your life is to resolve to follow the Lord Jesus. And this will not just be a new start, but a new life, a new future, a, a new father to care for you, a, a new Lord to lead you, a new spirit to teach and strengthen you that this may be the day that you resolve I will follow Jesus. Now, that's the great resolution upon which everything else in life depends and everything else I'm going to say today. If you're not a Christian, that is the resolution for you today. But now, if you are a Christian, well, we know that so much of our past holds regret, though it is covered by the blood of Christ who has died for our sins. So we may look forward knowing that God's mercies are new every morning, desiring to take our life in hand, let us see how we might advance in the coming year. Now, the Psalms, in particular, are a tremendous help to teach the people of God what kind of resolutions we need to make, what kind of declarations we need to state today in order that we might live differently tomorrow. And I'd like to consider this Psalm, this one, one example today, Psalm 145, as one of many, many examples to illustrate what I mean. Let's consider first from this psalm the resolutions and second, the reasons. First, the resolutions. Did you notice how very many resolutions there were in this psalm of 21 verses? We find many resolutions, particularly about the way that we will speak. Uh, the psalm begins, I will extol you. My God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. And then we have an immediate example of this in action, verse 3, as we are also then led to say with the psalmist, with David, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. So... Already many resolutions about praising the Lord, what we're going to say, what we're going to speak. Every day, uh, another resolution in verse 5, I will meditate, that is, speak to myself, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts. And then uh, a resolution, I think, that really summarizes the whole psalm, I will declare your greatness. All right, well, pausing now at verse 6. Already have a great number of resolutions before us about how we're going to speak in this coming year. Uh, praising the Lord day by day, declaring his greatness to others, even from one generation to the next. Now, you can learn a lot about people by what they say. Uh, people's hearts are, of course, completely invisible to us, but Jesus tells us how we can know what's inside a heart. Do you know what he says? He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out? What conversations do you have? What kinds of things do you like to talk about and bring up? What do you discuss with your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, your children, your wife or husband? Uh, what conversations even do you have with yourself? 
during the week. I used to try to keep those conversations with myself private, but now to my horror, as I'm getting a little older, I find myself doing what my dad used to do. I find myself muttering and mumbling my conversations out loud. Um, we all have those conversations and meditations in our mind. What kinds of things are you talking to yourself about? Well, we are told in this psalm the kinds of things that the psalmist, after reflecting on his life, says he will speak to others, even to himself. Verse 10, your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. They shall talk of your power to make known to the sons of men, that is to those who don't know, his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. So this psalm, as David is writing for us, leads us to resolve to use our words for God's glory. You see the resolutions that are stacking up. This resolution, this repeated emphasis is not unique to this psalm. Of course, uh, Psalm 51, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. We sang that this morning. Psalm 89, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. You remember the context there that uh, things are not going well, but uh, the psalmist is determined that he will do his part. Psalm 22, the Messianic Psalm, I will declare your name to my brethren, so forth. Well, when, when we sing these psalms, when we meditate upon them and speak them to our own hearts, when we speak them to the Lord, when we, when we sing them to each other here, we are being led to say, Oh God, I'm speaking of you all day long, forever and ever. I'm going to make you known. Maybe you've never noticed that before, but we are again and again every week singing inspired resolutions. I will declare your greatness. I mean, am I the only one that makes, that makes me feel a little uncomfortable? Uh, there's a gap between what I'm singing week in, week out, and what I'm doing. At the very least, I wish to improve in this area. And so this psalm is given to us to train us into where we need to be more resolute. How can our speech be more holy, more fruitful, more spiritual? This is not like a New Year's resolution, um, jogging twice a week or something that we might make or not make, uh, break as we like. This is an inspired resolution repeatedly given to us by the Lord himself, the Holy Spirit, which we are called to fulfill by his grace and help, so that when we are singing these things, we say, yes, that is, Lord, what I want to do. May I henceforth declare your greatness. Now, several of us came from homes where Dad just didn't talk with us about God's greatness. Uh, it, it was not something that was declared from generation to generation, and perhaps as a result, we're not very good at doing it ourselves. You know, there was a time in Israel when God's people did not declare God's greatness to that next generation. It was a total spiritual collapse, a total disaster. See, for example, Psalm 78. Whether this reticence to speak was caused by the fear of man or by bad example, or spiritual decline, I can't tell you, but I'm very sure it was a sign of crippled faith. 
If you have a family at home, you have the opportunity to take uh, advantage of these resolutions to declare God's greatness from one generation to the next, to make this an opportunity for you to make a change in your children's lives for the generations to come. You mothers, what powerful influence you have in your power of speech. Will you not all make this resolution, my mouth shall speak. This is the resolution that's before us time and time and time and time again in this psalm. Now, Peter and John, of course, were once commanded to keep quiet about the Lord. <laughs> they replied, look, we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. How, how could you keep silent about all that Jesus has been to them and all that he's done in the world? And of course, uh, we too. Have we not heard any good things from the Lord ourselves? Have we not seen any blessing? It's time for us to speak what we have seen and heard. But what are we supposed to say? And, and, and how can we keep this biblical resolution then for the new year? Well, the psalm is going to be a practical help to us. We've considered this matter of making resolutions, point one. Now, uh, the resolutions, point one. Now let's consider the reasons, point two. This psalm not only comes with many resolutions to guide us in what we must desire to do, but also to teach us why we are to do it and how we are to speak. It comes with reasons to teach us why God is so great and therefore greatly to be praised. Did you notice how these reasons are interleaved, mixed in five times to remind us why we simply must speak about the greatness of our King? Uh, I'm just going to go through them really quickly. I'm not here to uh, expound all the ins and outs of this psalm, but back and forth between I will speak, there's then reasons given, and I will praise, and there's reasons given in verses 4 through 6. Three times we are told about his mighty works, uh, his wondrous acts, his awesome deeds. The Lord has done great things from us. He's done great things. We need to speak about that. His, number one, his mighty works. Second, his gracious character, verses 7 through 9. We're reminded of God's great goodness, his righteousness, his grace and compassion, his tender mercies over all of his works. I mean, don't you have a testimony of God's graciousness to you? His grace and compassion and love and mercy to you? We'll speak of his gracious character. Third, his glorious kingdom, verses 11 through 13. We read of the glory, the power, the majesty of his kingdom. I mean, what a great thing that God has done in the sight of the nations by bringing his very king to earth, his Messiah, and announcing it in the sight of all, all nations. What, a, what glorious good news we have of God's kingdom, point three. Uh, then his merciful providence in verses 14 through 16 about how God is ruling all things for good. He's giving good gifts. All help is from his hand. He cares and provides for all of his creatures. He gives them food and so forth. I mean, hasn't God provided so greatly for you? And fifth and finally, of his free salvation and his righteous judgment. As we conclude the psalm in verses 18 through 20, uh, Picking up from the end here, he also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. We have uh, a God who has a great and gracious salvation, but 
who will judge the wicked on that day. So you see how this psalm is structured. We are layered with resolutions to speak and then reasons to speak. We have uh, resolutions to praise and reasons to praise. This psalm is filled with things that we can meditate on, how, our, how great our God is, uh, this, this treasure to fill our hearts. And then out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth can speak. And the more God becomes our treasure, meditating on these things especially, the more that we'll just love him and have to speak about him. I mean, we, we, we can't keep silent. In fact, these talking points to others, his mighty works, his gracious character, his glorious kingdom, his merciful providence, his free salvation, and his righteous judgment. These are the very things that all people need to know. And if these are our talking points, then we will tell of his wondrous works, gracious character, glorious kingdom, and so forth. The point is we must first warm our hearts, and then out of the overflow of the heart the mouth can speak. You see the, the layout of this psalm. It trains our hearts because out of the overflow of the hearts, the mouths will speak. I, I point out, therefore, it will not do us any good if we simply resolve to speak, right? I'm going to witness uh, once a day, every day. Uh, if, we, if we don't have some devotion or passion or conviction about us, such a, such a resolution will just make us miserable, right? It's, it's, it's just going to lay upon us a, a, uh, a duty to make us miserable. For, for example, uh, Thomas Boston, I hope a name known to some of you, um, very uh, important in the um, beginnings of uh, the Associate Church in Scotland, which uh, has come down to us as a spiritual heritage. Thomas Boston gives us several wonderful examples of making covenant resolutions in his memoirs, including a negative example. Uh, when he was a lad of uh, some 12 or 13 years old, he, he made a vow regarding prayer. He, he vowed that he would pray so many times per day, each and every day. So what do you think? I mean, you know, good for the substance of it, right? Okay. Um, so uh, year, years later, when he came to write his memoirs and looked back on that time, he couldn't actually remember how many times it was that he had promised the Lord. He thinks it was three. And, and he uh, kept that resolution, but he writes honestly that he thanks God that he only promised to do that for a relatively short period of time. Because, you see, it, 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 it soon became a tremendous burden to him and he, would, he found himself keeping his vow in very strange ways. Uh, his prayers were often poor because, you know, they were being made for no other reason than just to keep from breaking his vow. Now, I suppose at least at age 13, he had enough spiritual sense to know it's better to pray miserably than to break your vow to the Lord, right? Uh, but my point is, it was not what he had hoped for. He made this resolution to do something but resolution alone will not make the difference. We must find our hearts in the right frame. That's what the Lord desires. And so it was that uh, by his negative experience and example, uh, he began to learn some things. And uh, he began to make more progress as the years went on. For example, he began um, seeking more the, 
spiritual warmth and um, uh, blessing of the Lord uh, in order to make an advance in his life. I can give you one more example. Uh, on a much later occasion, uh, the truth is Boston had had a, a time of spiritual dryness and dullness of heart as a minister. And uh, he was uh, pretty miserable, but he, he recognized the problem. And he didn't just resolve, right? I'm gonna do this, no. He says, I, I, I realize what I need now. I need to meditate on the scriptures and remember what it is that I'm doing. And, and he began to pray that God would warm his heart and give him new victories over sin and so forth. And lastly, he says, he prayed that I might obtain habitual cheerfulness in the Lord. Uh, in other words, he just prayed that he would be joyful in the Lord. I need to be happy in you, O Lord. And as he prayed and sought the Lord in these things, the Lord did strengthen his heart. And then he went and wrote out a, a covenant resolution. Excuse the older language. I, Mr. Thomas Boston, minister of God's word at Simprin, for as much as I am in some measure now sensible of my grievous, horrid, and frequent backslidings from the Lord, since the last time I covenanted with God, and in particular, having been for some time habitually in a dead and sleepy frame, for which cause, among others mentioned elsewhere, I set this day apart for fasting and prayer, and finding myself called to renew my covenant with God, and to get my soul more confirmed in the Lord, for wading through the difficulties between me and heaven. I did, and now, giving it under my hand, I do adhere to all my former covenants with and engagements to be the Lord Jesus Christ's and do now with all my heart and soul solemnly resign and give up myself and all my bodily and spiritual concerns unto Christ, taking him with my heart and soul upon those very terms and no other upon which he is offered in the gospel, resolving and hereby engaging in his strength to cleave to him and his truths so long as I live and whatever be the hazard. And, before, and this I write before the Lord, the searcher of hearts, that I do with all willingness subscribe my name on the 25th day of March, 1700 years, signed Thomas Boston. This is a lost art, uh, a thoughtful, prayerful, deliberate attempt to take stock of one's spiritual life, to recognize not that we ought to be doing this or ought to be doing that, but that the Lord needs to start here. And a deliberate means, therefore, of seeking the Lord and committing ourselves to the Lord and recommitting ourselves from time to time by intentional covenant resolution. So learn this from Boston's example. Reflect on your own spiritual situation, seeking the Lord in his word and prayer until your heart is in the right frame, and then you are able to commit yourself to serve him more in some particular way. This is how God's people have taken their life into hand and set resolutely on some good course which would not happen to them by accident. Because, like Boston admits, it's just too easy for us to, to, spiritually speaking, drift along every day and be dead toward the things of God. A well-meaning resolution or vow can bring such drifting to a halt. 
and set us off in some direction that is pleasing to the Lord and useful to ourselves and make our year to come much better. So, here we have the second point. Let the making and keeping of such biblical resolutions be a part of your devotion to God. Press the reasons upon your heart until you feel them. And then come to see if next January you won't have some cause to set up an Ebenezer and say, as Samuel did hitherto, the Lord has helped. In conclusion, the psalm ends with a great resolution. Verse 21, my mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. A resolution for testimony and ministry. Uh, praise to the Lord, not a special calling for a certain few. A resolution for us all, especially in the coming year. My mouth shall speak. You do what must be done to get that heart in a frame so that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and praises and declares his greatness and glory to the world, to the coming generation, to the Lord himself. Do not let another year go by without progress in this. Commit yourself to it in prayer. Ask for his help and grace. And he who honors me, says the Lord, I will honor. And how often the Lord in such psalms speaks to our heart and, and says, is this not your desire? Is it not your desire to praise me more, to have more delight that overflows, and to speak great things about the one who did such great things for you? This is the life that the Bible describes as walking worthy of the calling we have received, worthy of the gospel of Christ, a life worthy of the Lord to please him in every way, as Paul puts it in various places, a, a, a life that has known the greatness of the Lord and therefore that he is greatly to be praised. So, in conclusion, I say the time is at hand. The Bible urges always upon us maximum effort in such important matters. Paul writes, therefore let us pursue. Peter writes, make every effort. Uh, elsewhere, Philippians 3, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Well, brothers and sisters, a new, a new year is ahead and the years are passing more quickly. And when this brief life is over, you will want with all of your heart, to be able to look back and see a life of growth in grace, of maturity, of consecration, of devotion, uh, to see more than what you have seen at this present moment. And you know that just wanting so will not make it so. You know that it's possible virtually to stand still for years at a time, spiritually speaking, and there's a terrible possibility that our pilgrimage would proceed no further in holiness or blessing than it is today. So therefore, we are called by the psalmists to commit ourselves in certain ways to living for the Lord while it is called today. The night comes when no man can work. The psalms are always urging upon us this consecration, this devotion, this commitment to higher, better things, to be resolved 
no more to live as we have lived, but to live higher and greater lives for our Lord. The Scottish Free Church minister of old, Robert Murray McShane, was a prodigious letter writer, and many of his letters uh, were headed with his own sketch of the setting sun. And above that, the words, the night comes when no man can work. In fact, he even had a, a setting sun painted upon his watch so that every time he checked the time, the time of day, he would be reminded that the night is coming when no man can work. And he did an incredible amount in his, what, uh, 29 years, was it? Um, how often we read about such men and intend to live differently and to start not today, but tomorrow. But tomorrow, as Tori once said, is the devil's day. Today is God's day. Satan cares not how spiritual your intentions may be for tomorrow and how holy your resolutions is only they are for tomorrow. Give not place to the devil in this matter, Tory preached. Answer him, no, Satan, it shall not be tomorrow, it shall be today. My mouth shall speak the praises of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do uh, confess once again the rightness, the goodness of what you yourself has said. How delightful it is when, when we are able to give testimony and to uh, give ministry uh, regarding the, the one that has done such great things for us. We desire out of an abundance of heart to be able to have our mouth speak and to glorify you among all. And so it is we pray that you would look upon us with, with uh, mercy, that uh, pressing these glorious reasons and purposes in our hearts, we pray that uh, the, the, the praises may come more readily and more fully from our mouths. You are great and gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, great in mercy, good to all. All your works do praise you. Now may your saints.